Bringing voices that rise above the rumors, complicating the narrative. A podcast from youth shattering myths about loss and trauma in violence-riddled neighborhoods. Money on the phone, commissaries, visits. Back to the subject, though. I was getting released, and the craziest part is I wasn't scared the day I got locked up, but I was terrified the day I came home. It's two days you remember in prison, going in and getting out. Yeah, here I am terrified, but so excited. So much adrenaline flowing through my body, seconds from overdosing in my system cleaner than a board of health. The whole drive back to Chicago, all I could do is think about what reaction I would get from my princess. I knew my mama would cry the moment she set eyes on me. I knew my little brother was going to be over T just off the strength. He ain't seen me since I left the county and that was six years ago. I really didn't care to see my homies. All I craved was that love and embrace of my family. I still to this day don't understand how the hell I've been in shootouts and wasn't scared. But here I am pulling up to my mama's house, terrified, not knowing what to expect. Welcome back, listeners, to season two of Complicating the Narrative. My name is Dimitri. I'm one of the Authors Circle facilitators at Contextos. That was Douglas Hood of Amplify Investments, also one of our Contextos authors. You published that in the Amplify compilation, right? Yes. Nice. That was just a section of your memoir in the Amplified Voices compilation. What were you writing about in that in that memoir? Um. So today, it was... About the day I came home, I was released from a seven-year sentence, prison sentence. Um, that day meant a lot to me, so I wanted to express that. It was like a day I felt emotion for, for the first time again after seven years. Hmm. So I wanted to capture that. A lot of times, like a lot of moments when I was writing this piece was mm. like I literally had to close my eyes and like read, like visualize how I felt, what I wanted to communicate, mm. what I wanted the next person to feel. So I just wanted to put a, a, like a picture to what I felt on the inside. Got you. And you said it was the first time you felt in a long time. Uh, and, and that reminds me of a line in there where you said you remember two days, right? That the day you go in and, and the day you come out. And I've heard others in in a similar situation say something similar. Why is that? My perception of it, the day you go in is the day you lose everything. You don't lose your life, but then in a sense you do lose your life. You, You can't take care of yourself, providing for yourself. It's like, it's hard to, you can't even really grow your mind no more. So your mind is like in a, time chamber or something, just stuck in time. Mm. So I remember, I, I definitely can't, can never forget that. And then the day you come home is when you receive everything back, you get everything back. Whether you standing back into society at a disadvantage or you got a, a healthy support system behind you, you still like, you get, it, you get that back. You get everything back. The opportunity to grow, mm. the opportunity to provide for yourself the opportunity to love again to feel again you gain you gain a lot back so when you're inside um, and you said it was uh that day when you came home you you felt again right it was the first time in a long time that you felt again is it is it that the situation inside is is just such that 
it makes it hard to feel or do you, do you shut down those feelings like how does that you I, me personally I just shut down cause it's like paying attention to my surroundings my, the environment in the, in the, in, within the prison guys get on the phone be calling they get bad news girl's friend left them death in the family death of a friend no money they in there hungry so it's like bad news so I just shut my emotional feeling down like even communicating with the people I didn't like what I didn't even hold an interest into communicating so uh you mentioned having a support or whether or not you have a support system makes a big difference in terms of what it's like coming home right definitely how did that work out for you in terms of like having a support system to to get back on your feet again just to restart again once you got your life back it was it was so confusing for in my in my uh situation because i actually do have did have a support system Mm -hmm. whether they was effective to me Mm -hmm. as as effective i wanted or needed them to be at the time but they was there they always wanted to see me do good See, a lot of guys come home and they don't have no support. They don't have no support, no resources. So it's like, it's super e- likely, it's like, it's highly likely that they'll fall back into their old patterns. Hmm. And we talked about that a little bit on the uh, episode two of season one, the goldfish syndrome episode, right? Where Charles interviewed you about that. He talked about recidivism, about why it is that it becomes a cycle, right? When people yeah. come out, they go back in again. And it seemed from what, what we talked about in that episode that that's one of the reasons, right? If you don't have a support system around you, you have a lot fewer options in terms of what you can do when you come back home. Exactly. Uh, um, did you have a plan when before you got out? Did you, did you make a plan for what, what your next steps are going to be? Um, so I'm a guy of no planning. Like, mm-hmm. I just go <laughs> from the hip. So okay. Super adaptive. So. I didn't have a plan. I just knew. I just had a mindset. I came home with a mindset. A plan won't work because if your mind's still the same, Mm. it don't matter what plan you have, you're going to fail if you got the wrong mindset. So I knew to start with my mindset, change, alter my mindset in a positive way, and the plan is just fall in place. Okay. So you kind of had to build that foundation. And then once you have that foundation, you can say, okay, what kind of house can I build on this foundation? Yes. Okay. So the mindset kind of started you off and you started there um, and that enabled you to make those next steps once you came home? Yes. Okay, cool. So you mentioned that you had your family, you had a support system around you. What are some ways that, for those that, that love somebody who's behind walls and coming home soon, um, what are some ways that people, that, that that support system, that family and friends can be helpful when someone's coming home? Um, first, so they have this thing, this this requirement called a parole site, which is basically somewhere for the person that's coming home being released from prison to go home and live at. So that's first and foremost, like providing a parole site, a household that's a positive household for that parolee or that individual to come home and stay within a healthy environment. Um, Next, I would say like employment leads, Mm-hmm. around like so it's like kind of guiding them because a lot of guys for instance Johnny what he do been gone like 20 he had did like 20 years or mm-hmm. something people they don't know the, the, the economy changed so much maybe factories was popular back then in the workforce maybe it's corporate world now or a, a weed dispensary or something so mm-hmm. just that 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 common knowledge around employment that that's a great help 
um, transportation. Guys come home, we don't have no money, no no type of financial stability. So it's like we either have to get on a bus, which will require money, car fare, mm-hmm. or transportation. So a way my family helped me was one, my mama, I was able to parole to my mom's house. Two, my stepdad has a car, so I was required by my parole officer to do daily check-ins every day and go to anger management. So that's all the way on 80th and College Grove. Mm-hmm. I stay all the way in the Morgan Park area. Okay. So with no bus fare, how how was I able to get there? So my stepdad, he woke, woke up every day, 9, 8.30 in the morning, and drove me down there. That's, shout outs to him. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, so many so many text messages and screenshots. She sent me a job, job leads, job That's leads. Uh, my cousin, Taki, from do work with uh, Ceasefire and Swap. Real close with him. Um, he actually referred me to Swap, Southwest Organizing Project. And okay. um, I started doing community work with them, with them, which led me to where I'm at now. Okay. Through another referral. So that was great support. Hmm. So it's it's a lot of ways. But clothes, we don't have clothes coming home. Like no clothes. We don't have nothing but the jogger suit they give us, which mm-hmm. is gray. Mm-hmm. And probably some state shoes. If you didn't yeah. if you have that's if you didn't have gym shoes right. when when you was inside. And you probably want to get rid of that pretty quick. <laughs> pretty quick. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I was so glad I had a, uh uh my friend one of my uh friends um had bought me a uh a, a jogger suit. A, a Ralph Lauren polo jogger suit. When I saw okay. it, he gave me the bag. I immediately <laughs> <laughs> ripped it off. Ripped every. I was jumping yeah. out of the clothes. Yes. Okay. So we also for this episode about coming home. We talked on episode. If you guys listeners listened to episode six of season one of Complicating the Narrative, uh, you heard J Rock and Mariah talk about coming home and about what that was like for for Jerry J Rock personally. We for this episode, I want to talk to you about it, but also Charles, who produced episode two of season one, the Goldfish episode. He interviewed one of our author circle facilitators, Johnny. And so you guys are going to hear that interview coming up also. Anything else that you want to add? I mean, I just feel like it's a topic where there's a lot, a lot people don't know and a lot that you might want to. A perspective, a lot of perspective you can add. So as I'm going to speak to the supporters of the person or individuals that would be coming home, like, I get it. It's super healthy. It's useful. It's love. It's all of, all of, all of those that you want to, you want that individual to see, do good. And you want to see like change and, and like behavior or whatever the case it is. Like you just want to see change and growth within a man or whatever. That's, oh, that's love. I love, I love that. But, it could also be pressure, added on pressure, because like maybe I'm maybe I'm using myself as an example. Like I knew how to fill out work um, job applications, but maybe it's an individual that didn't know how to mm-hmm. don't that don't know. But you study guiding them towards jobs, jobs. He's scared. He probably embarrassed to say I don't know how to fill out a, a proper job application mm-hmm. or do or create a, a proper a, a effective resume hmm. so like that's pressure you want you want that person to get a job but they don't know how to get a job right so yeah. it's like, all those baby steps that come with it yes right? okay. so like it's good but 
it could be pressure. It definitely could be pressure. Even from like girlfriend or spouse, on from they from their perception of it, like they want money, financial financial support. They want they want they want you to support them financially. How? When we gotta come from the bottom, you got a stable, you got a you got a stable place of employment. And and felons in felons case, they come home, we come home. Our first option is attempt service. So every 90 days we looking for another another place of mm-hmm. employment. So that's pressure. Right. Did you feel like uh was it overwhelming? I mean, and what you wrote about was that first day, right? And yeah. and in that in your memoir you talked about that family was all there, right? And which is great cuz you haven't seen family, right? And you've been right. isolated from everybody. Did it did it feel overwhelming early on going from being isolated to having Everybody wanted to come over and see you and everybody being there and wanting to have those conversations and asking you questions. Was that part of it overwhelming? Um, I wouldn't say overwhelming. I would definitely label it as uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely was uncomfortable for me. And it kind of was offensive, too, because I definitely kind of took offense. I love the, the, the support and stuff, but it kind of was offensive because it's like... I saw, I literally, I saw faces, I saw faces and people, people came to see me and stuff and was a super excited, all talking about how they love me, they miss me, but I haven't heard from you in seven years. Mm-hmm. So I definitely took offense. I didn't give a reaction, but I, I right. definitely took offense. Yeah. So you, you, you decided to be a little bit more understanding because, because of the situation. Yeah. Okay. That, that's gotta be rough. Cause, cause you hear them, right? You, you hear it, but you didn't really see it. <laughs> you, yeah, I, you hadn't seen it, but you were hearing it once you came back home. Yeah, so like, uh, so it was an old friend of mine. He was there, and I was kind of confused when I saw him. He reaching out, trying to hug me and stuff, shake my hand. I'm like, kind of confused, like, why is he here? Who mm. brought him here? Then he, like, it was this little voice playing in my head. He, ah, oh, look, I miss you, bro. I missed you. I'm like, eh, that little voice <laughs> in my head, like, oh, that's not, okay. oh, that's not a fact. Okay, that's cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely <Big> cat. <laughs> okay, um, so we're gonna get into this interview uh, between Charles and Johnny. Uh, Charles interviewed Johnny about coming home, about what it's like, and he had some questions for him. So I want to thank you, Doug, for coming out again, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> for thanks. contributing your voice and your perspective as you do. We really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure of mine to come support. JP, can I get you to say your name, man? Your position, uh, the your profession. Um, also explain how your experience and uh, like just how long did you do in the penitentiary? All right, my name is Johnny Page. I'm currently, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe what my profession is, right? That was an interesting question. What's mm-hmm. my profession? I'm a professional professional. Now, I'm a formerly <laughs> incarcerated professional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the co-director of programs and partnerships for Contextos. Um, and do I need to explain what Contextos is? Um, we not, Well, I think we got a pretty good outlook on what it is, but go ahead and tell us one more time. How do I, I want to explain? Do I want to just talk about what it is that we do, right? So Contextos is a organization as an organization what we do is we we provide narrative therapy i mean that's the easiest way i can explain it Mm -hmm. and so what that does is that allows people to address the issues of unfinished business how they see the world their thoughts on the things that they haven't dealt with 
internally, externally, and um, what I with the and we provide opportunities for, for for voices that aren't often heard to be heard, and we do that in a way that allows the upliftment of the voice of the author, and then to to challenge the the, the narratives in society. Right. So mm-hmm. this idea of complicate the narrative and what the purpose of this podcast is about, and so how do we complicate the narrative? We have to uplift the voices of the folks that don't often get to contribute to the conversation or to what the narrative is. And so as an organization. That is our goal—the upliftment of the of these voices um, to create this sort of um, aspirational work. Right? We want to make sure that we contribute to the creation of thriving communities through this aspirational work. Okay. Okay. Well, um, how long were you incarcerated? Can you give us a, li- yeah. a little bit of outlook on that? Right to it, huh? How long were you in jail? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, don't, I, ain't, I ain't gonna fuck around. What, what, what's up, man? Let me know what's going on. <laughs> right. Um, I did 23 years in like some odd months. 23 years in like nine months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was incarcerated from 1991 to 2014. Okay. And because we're going to get to like we're not really talking about your experience while you were incarcerated right now. This is all about uh, coming home and the challenges there were or, you know, seeing. So if, for my first question, you know, I'm going to start real intimate, you know what I'm saying, as far as because me personally, I know a lot of your family, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of your sisters. I, I grew up with them. So can you speak to maybe the role of maybe your family members? What are you looking for as far as support? Did you get what you were looking for in that respect, or did you would would you like have liked more, or what do you feel as if a family member's role is when you coming home from, especially from that long? I mean, it's it, it's going to be different. It, so I always say, if if my family was screwed up before I left, I, what's what can I expect from them when I come back, right? Because if they didn't have nothing when I left, what do they have when I return, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but overall. I wasn't. I really didn't expect as much as I got from my family because you know, I spent most of my life in the streets. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's hard to say most of your life in the streets when you went to prison. You were eighteen, right? Yeah. But um, I grew up in the streets, and then I grew up in prison, right? So most of my education and my life, how I lived my life, was from the streets to prison, and then coming out. I had a beautiful support system because shit, I'm the oldest of ten kids, right? So. I'm their oldest brother, and they wanted to see me um, succeed, so they supported me really well. They they actually exceeded my expectations um, because I, I thought, I, of course, I came out with these expectations from others, not just necessarily my um, siblings, but I had expect I you know the way I thought it was gonna go, it didn't go that way, but I had an excellent support system that allowed me to. Not fall, right? yeah. You know, I might have stumbled a little bit, but they yeah, they, they was there. They, they was there to help you to help you keep on your feet. Yeah, to keep me on my feet. So, so. I'm gonna talk personally about a little bit about myself. Like when I came home, um, my support system was the, the exact difference. Mm-hmm. I had very little to no support. You know, like when I say look, very little to no support, I mean like I had a place to live, right? Or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But like everything else, I had to do. My first time coming home from prison. You know, I been gone that long, especially when you a child when you leave, and I'm the oldest of two of two kids, mm-hmm. so it's a big difference. You know what I'm saying? So for me coming home, I felt as if my support system wasn't there. There's a lot of people that just that would say, "Yeah, we here for you," but they weren't doing shit. Oh no, but that's the reality of it all, right? But <laughs> I don't care if it's just for you or me coming home. Um, again, because when I came home, I had this expectation that I was gonna have like a year 
to just figure shit out. Nah, and it don't I, be like that. I'm like, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna, I got like a, I mean, it's different. I, you know, I spent, I was in prison for 20 some years. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, shit, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a, at least a year to figure this out, right? I'm gonna go to school, I'm gonna figure it out. Whatever I gotta do, I'm gonna do. But I have a year to figure it out before I start having to pay bills or contribute. And then 30 days, 30 days out, I was like, man, this shit, that ain't gonna work, right? Mm-hmm. One, because, you know, you steady going in and out that refrigerator, the light bill a little higher, you know, because you're there. Mm-hmm. The heat, the gas bill a little higher because you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, the food, you know, they, they spending more on groceries because you're there. The water, water And you just came home for prison, so you know that appetite big, Jack. And, and it's just, it's just, even you know, and 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 to the defense of family members, they don't even realize the burden that they they accept them when they yeah. have you come there, right? They just yeah. want to make sure that they can help you, um, and not really understanding what that help means. So, like for you, you saying you had a place to stay, and so for some, they were like, "Oh, you golden," because some folks don't have a place to stay. No, it's more than that, right? It's more than me just having a place to stay. Having a place to stay, stay, a, sort of pulls one thing off the table. But shit, the table full of stuff that I need, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how do we negotiate, or how do you navigate that without, you know, falling back into the traps? That's the that's the key. And you know, for me, it was a little bit easier because when I came, I paroled to my sister's house. I was in the basement, a place I never wanted to be. But you know, because you know, I watched TV and it was like, I'm not gonna be the uncle living in the basement, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out of prison or from Vietnam or whatever. Every movie I saw, the uncle living in the basement was like. He was crazy or something, so I was I wasn't gonna be that guy, um, but that was my that was my that was my opportunity. I had I had access to the basement. Um, I had actually I can get in from. I didn't need to come through the house to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out like like I clothed. They bought me a bed, which was I thought was big. They actually the first bed I I got my siblings bought for me. Um, and then clothes, and then they had this like fund that they had started when I got close to getting out. So everybody chipped in and put some money in there so that I have something when I got there. So it was big, right? So that allowed me to be, you know, I was blessed and fortunate. And but unfortunately, that's not the reality for everybody's coming. coming that's out. right. Yeah, a large portion come out with. They don't even, you know, they come out with the bare necessities, if that, and if they can't, if they have, if they just have a place to stay temporarily. Right, just so they can make parole because that's the conditions. That for some folks, it's just um, you can stay here till you, you know, just so you can get out. But you need to find, you need to be moving around soon. I think that that's a big, big thing that goes unnoticed. It's about you look at these guys; they come home, they don't have nothing to look forward to, no support system, and then they resort right back to the same things, right? And we always that's always looked down upon because the recidivism rate is so high. So I'm gonna get into this too, you know, because we all, I think we all come home with a plan. I came home from prison. This is my. I just came home from jail. I didn't come from prison this time. But coming home, we always got a plan. Like you said, he's like, man, I got a year to figure this shit out. And then thirty days into it, you like, shit, this ain't gonna work. You know what I'm saying? So every so your experiences of being around guys because you do a lot of advocating for guys that are still currently incarcerated. You still in touch with them? Mm-hmm. Do you feel as if? Guys planning Understand that the plan Ain't gonna go as is Everybody understand That the plan Is gonna go, go as planned You get what I'm saying So for me The first thing I did After I got my Reality check Was All the folks that called me I give them theirs Before they get here Right So Mike Tyson said Everybody got a plan Until they get hit Right You, you know what you're gonna do When you get in that ring You know 
Right, I'm quoting Mike Tyson, right? Mm -hmm. But you're going to get in the ring, you know what you're going to do until a person, you get punched, then all that shit go out the window. You know, I'm, I'm going to dip this way, I'm going to do this, I'm going to keep the jab. And then the guy hits you and he rattle you, like, damn, he just rattled my cage. Mm -hmm. It's the same It's the same thing here. Um, in, in, inside, what we realist, realistically think it takes to survive isn't reality. It might would have took to survive when I walked into prison in 1991, but shit, in 2014, that ain't gonna cut the butter, right? You know, that shit is ugly. And so for me, what what I tell guys all the time is, listen, I understand, I know you have a plan, and I'm not saying you can't work your plan, but you need to first be grounded in what's taking place, you know, everything that's taking place around you. So for, for example, you come home, um, let's say you come home and you just did 15 years, right? Well, mm -hmm. you just did five years, but mm -hmm. you the breadwinner for your family when you left, guess what? When you come home, they expect you to be the bread one of them. Yeah, people, whether it be just bringing money to the table or this, there's an expectation that's placed on you from other people, and that's and that expectation oftentimes exceeds the expectations you have for yourself. And so, um, what I always what 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 for me and the, the words that I give back to to guys inside is like, slow down first. Right, because you're gonna come out. I came out speed walking. Right, I, I was running. I didn't. I didn't want to wait for nothing. I, first week, I got all everything you need. I got link card, medical card, driver's license. I'm trying to figure out how to get in the car. I'm trying to figure out how to get to school, how to get to work. And they're like, "Bro, you just got here. You 20 something years behind. Chill." And I'm saying, I don't have time. I don't have the luxury of chilling. And so for for what I do is I tell folks to take it a little slower than I did. Some folks are just gonna be, they're gonna, that's their drive, they're gonna move like that anyway. And so what I do is I just try to share with them the mistakes that I made going along the way. And so it's gonna, cause it's gonna be different for everyone. But the first thing you need to understand that everybody got a plan until they get hit. The thing is, can you stick to your plan after being punched in the face? Cause you're gonna get punched. Yeah, you're gonna get punched. See me, my first time, man, I went away young and I stayed. I, I went away real young. I went away at 17. Mm -hmm. When I came home, I was 21. I was going on 22, getting around 22. Mm -hmm. So even that short amount of time, we talking about, you talking about 23 years and mm -hmm. some months, that's a big gap. I don't even, I, so people always say five days is too long for me. Yeah. You but, know, I, so don't, don't, you know, I understand like, yeah, I did 23 years, and, you know, but five years is too long. You 17 going in prison at 17 and coming out at 22, that's the difference. Five years is a generation now. You know, it's not like it used to be the generation was 25. The whole world changed in five years right now. Yeah, it do. Everything. It, it do. And when I came home, I speedballed. You know what I'm saying? It was like my experience was, see, I was young and stupid. You know what I'm saying? I, my biggest thing was when you missing out on that, that time from 17 to 21, that's when people are really becoming men, really starting to enjoy themselves because that's when the reins get took off from whether we your family or society, you turn 18, you're grown now. So I was behind, behind on growing up. When I came home, everybody had kids. Everybody was just getting their jobs or, you know what I'm saying, people were still out here hustling so they had their money together. And it was like, for me, it was an embarrassment because when you was, when you was 17 years old and you in a, living a certain type of way, and then you get lost and you see your homies exceed you or anybody around you. Now, they, they in a position where they, they succeed in life. You know, it's the difference between being inside and succeeding. You hear about all this. You want to be a part of it. But now you come home, you feel embarrassed. You don't want to ask nobody for nothing. So I tried to speedball until. And one of the biggest things was if you're going to be out here doing what you're doing, you got you to gotta keep yourself protected. Right. 
You know what I'm saying? So that made me go back after four four months, 127 days, speedballing in Russia. You know what I'm saying? So that that's a big part of it as well. So I'm going to go and get into this as well. Like, question I want to ask you. Do you think, because you got guys that do six months and they feel like they've been gone 20 years. <laughs> you got guys that do three years feel like that's 20 years. Or, you know what I'm saying? So what, do you think that there's a difference between being gone Especially that mindset and missing out on, stu- on missing out on things, being gone a couple months, a couple years, as opposed to being gone for a long period of time. Do you feel like the transition is harder for those that have been gone longer? Sometimes, it, it, again, it, it, it depends on the situation, right? When you're gone three years, right? In three years, you still really have, it take you really, just, just in my opinion, you spend the first, you gonna finish, in prison, you spend the first seven years just pissed the fuck off. I don't care how much. You know what I mean? Like, you like really be pissed off. You're mm-hmm. gonna spend seven years just mad. You don't even know why you mad. you angry as hell. And then, you know, things will start to change. So that's long term. So, but for somebody that's doing two, three years, you really haven't got to that point. In three years, you didn't really feel, you don't, you know, Sometimes you lose like people. You have you have this you you um it's, are confronted with a lot of loss, um, but over the course of years, the the longer you're there, the more loss you experience, right? And you know, so you can get the system can you know has a way of sort of pressing down on you. But that three years, that five months, that six months, to me, I just feel like I've never been the guy. You know. Of course, I've said and be like, man, look, really, you you complaining, and I'm, you know, I've 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 had those moments, but for the most part, I feel like a day is too fucking long. Yeah, right? it is. You know, but the thing is, so I know people that got out who did 15, 20 years, and they came out, they went in at seventeen and came out at eighteen, but they did 15, 20 years in between. You figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Because they come out trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. So you come out and you missed out on everything, and you like, man, I want that. So you come out if it's a, if it's the hustle and every your man everybody getting their money and they doing this that the third and you saying man I want my time, not realizing that that specific moment passed you by. So you if you come out you come out you seventeen you come you get locked up you seventeen you come out you eighteen you chasing seventeen year old Charles as as opposed to dealing with twenty one year old Charles because twenty one year old I tell people all the time don't compare me to the don't compare me. To um, people that's not making it, right? Compare mm-hmm. me to the people that that the people that I grew up with that just went and did all of you know they succeed in the way they were supposed to succeed, and if you and then compare me to them because that's that's how I look at my life. Like okay, not in a sense like I'm in competition with anybody, but people are like man, you should be thankful for your situation. I am, bro. I'm like humbled for real because you know I didn't even though. You know, in my mind, I was going to be, at this point, five years out, shit, I thought I would be in a way better position than I'm in. But I'm in a great position. I'm doing some, I'm, and I'm doing, I think I've, it was a worthy sacrifice, right? What I thought I was going to have and didn't get, and then what I got out of it, right? Because now what I got out of it, I got an opportunity to help other folks, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of me just getting to where I need to be, I was able to pull a bunch of folks with me, right? And put people in positions to help them get to where they need to be. So it was a fair trade-off, but yeah, no, I don't I don't really get caught into the, how much time I did versus how much time somebody else did because it's going to be different. Everybody can't do 20-something years in prison. Nah, Everybody can't do nah, three they years. Not, they not mentally prepared for, for nothing like that. So, you know, 
It, it, it takes it, a, it, it take a, it take a long strong and I it's people that's doing twenty years that have already lost their mind. That's why it's called Pontiac PC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or or guys that are sitting in Pontiac Sig that have really lost they lost their marbles no, when they come on. Yeah, I know, I got a, I know a lot of folks that you know they you know five years in he's like man what, the, what happened to him right he mm-hmm. just lost it but so it's, it takes honestly I always say. It takes a special kind of person to be able to do the time. My thing was, I was a little off when I went in, so I figured I came out all right. So I didn't go in, I didn't go in sane and come out off. I went in off and came out sane. Yeah. It was like, it was a Yeah, I mean, for certain ones, it sit you down. You know what I'm saying? It sit you down and give you time to think. You ain't got nothing but, you know what I'm saying? I did all my time. I did Mount Sterling, Pickneyville, Pontiac. I've never been to nowhere where we was out all day. Right. Never. Everywhere, everywhere I've been, you either ain't coming out, period, or you, you know what I'm saying? You, you, uh, uh, you sitting you got sat you out for an hour so you know what I'm saying that really sit you down if you don't have the time cause one thing the idle mind is a devil's playground you know what I'm saying and that's what it really does it really weighs on you mentally you know what I'm saying so if you don't have that strong mindset and you think you finna get out there in society because one thing about one thing about being incarcerated man you lose you can lose uh, how should I say this you can lose like being used to society, being or like being, having come to grips with society, people like to be institutionalized. Right. Some guys like it. You know what I'm but saying? I, I, I'll say this right. It's just you brought up the word institutionalized. I feel like I have a this. I already know what you're saying. How folks talk about being institutionalized, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you're comparing me, what's the what's the guy um, Terry Crews in, in Friday? What was what's his name? Uh, Damon. Damon, right? So if you if 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 that's what you call institutionalized, then I get it. But for the most part, institutional. I grew up in an institution. That's my life. Experience. I spent twenty three years plus in an institution. So I, and so what I think drives through. This is just me. I think what happens is everything that little Charles learned that survived to help him cope and make it through that. that all those good things that helped him make it through those four five years in prison. The day you walk out, you expect to leave that shit and then just be somebody else. Exactly. No, hell no. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can't dis I can't disinvest myself from my experiences. Those those are the things that help me, right? So people always ask me like, "What's you know, you changed, you changed," and I say, "Man, the thing is, I'm the same person. If you knew me prior, and if you like me then, you'll like me now, right? Mm-hmm. If you didn't like me then, you're probably not gonna like me now. I'm the exact same. Only difference is." The main difference, and I guess if you want, because change is the one thing that's constant. You either growing or you're dying. Ain't mm-hmm. no in between. So I changed in a way that how I respond to outside, the way I think about things, right? So how I respond to outside stimuli. That's the major change. Everything else is the change that gradually comes with growth, right? That progression of like growing up. But like for me, what would have got you slapped in 1988? I'm gonna laugh at you in 2019, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, and keep it moving, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel threatened by you and whatever society says or the culture dictates how I move. Mm-hmm. I dictate how I move. I'm not moving because culture say, man, he disrespected you. How? He don't even know me. He can't disrespect me. He don't know me, right? Um, I don't. Ha- he don't have to earn. Nobody has to earn Johnny's respect, you know. But that's the shit we talk coming up. Like, man. Respect ain't give you got to earn it. No, I'm gonna respect every man as a man. Cause if you walk in a room not thinking you gonna dis- you, you're not gonna respect me, then you started out disrespecting me. So we gonna have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So when you learn that, when that switch turn, when that switch happens, then you start thinking about it different. Like, damn, you're right. Cause if he walk into my he don't, 
I gotta earn his respect. I don't know. Fuck. Who is you? Why? Why? Why <laughs> I need to earn up. your respect? Who are you? So that and it immediately creates this opportunity for disrespect. And so for me, me changing the way I saw out how I reply or I responded to outside stimuli was the most significant change. Other than that. Everybody changes. I don't understand, right? The person, the, the, the fool is the person that's resisting change because you can't. It's like, you know, that water keep busting up against it. Eventually, it's going to erode, corrode the rocks and all that shit. You can't change. It's like water. You're right. Institutionalized can be positive or negative. When I say negative, when I say institutionalized, I mean like desensitized to society. That's really what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't understand that there are rules and regulations that you got to abide by if you want to be successful out here. You know what I'm saying? So, no, and shit, even in that, right? Because shit, you just come from a place where you gotta abide by the rules, and you fight the rules. Right? Yeah, but at the same time, you you know the difference between being in the penitentiary and being in a society. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if if being in society, they more, way more people way more disrespectful than being in prison. Exactly. So if you come from that 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 coming from that, whereas you understand, because you know you getting rolled over in the joint. If you got if you you know what I'm saying, you getting rolled over. So you coming out with the thing is. I ain't finna let no disrespect. I ain't finna let nobody disrespect me mm-hmm. to the point where as you come out here and you plan it like it's the penitentiary, guess where you gonna end up back at? Either you going to the joint or the grave or the graveyard, or one the hospital, or one the hospital. No, yo, you nine times ten, yo, you going you going to the somebody right. gonna put you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, but, when, I, but the thing is, even thinking about that, right? So when we think about it, I'm always it's it's it's, it's funny to me sometimes, right? Like, damn, you know. This idea, because we had these conversations all the time about black, white, gray. Right? Mm-hmm. So you come from the streets; it's black or white. Ain't, there is no in between, because in between people, you're gonna lose. You can you can really get hurt. Shit can go wrong, and and then you go to prison, and everything is again. It's this black, black and, and white. white. It's, yeah. You know, and so but most folks live in gray, right? Society exists, and people operate. People ex- operate in the gray area, right? So. That's the thing that I think is most difficult for people coming home is like understanding like that the world is gray. It's not this. It's just not black. It's just not white. It's more of shades of gray. And so when you when you to, to your point about institutionalism, um, when you box yourself in, because there's a lot of folks out here in prison. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Going back to going back to the goldfish. This episode that we had, I said that really when it, when we get to prison, he be like, man, I've been locked up my whole life anyway. You stuck in an eight block radius. You don't have, really have no freedom. You know what I'm saying? What What is that? What is the difference between being institutionalized on the outside and being institutionalized on the inside? Because, look, you still really look at it. I, I, I just analyze things from every perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. You got the COs come by every few, every few hours to count. Right. The police ride by every few hours, every few minutes. <laughs> I ain't even thought about that. Are you going in the A block radius? You can't leave this A block radius because if you cross this side, you're going to get killed. You cross right here, you're going to get killed. You go on this side, you know it's hot right here. The police going to be all over the place. You got to carry something with you just like carrying a knife or anything else. Like You got to carry something with you to protect yourself. So I'm saying, like, what's the difference? What's the big difference? Because you can leave outside your crib. And then you look at that kids who don't have no cars or no, nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? You still boxed in. Now when you get in the penitentiary, you really boxed in. You know what I'm saying? So, but even beyond that, right? Yeah. Prison is you know you know stone bars and stone walls and iron bars do not a prison make right. So when you start thinking about beyond just the physical captivity, right? Because mm-hmm. people are out here in financial debt, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a fight. And that creates another prison, right? It's you you your freedom is limited because you can't 
you can't move a certain way because you've put yourself in this type of space or society has put you in a position or you made some poor decisions. However you want to, you know, create the answer to that question. But you are still in prison, right? You're still there. You're in prison, whether it be debt, whether it be um, your own insecurities, whether it be you can't you can't you don't have your emotions in check. And so because you are uh, unstable in a sense that you put yourself in, a, you, you, you lock yourself into a specific space in your life, right? So even when you're just talking about the goldfish syndrome, people not leaving outside of that eight block radius. But what happens for the for the person that makes it out, but is in a different type of prison, right? And they get they they move beyond the eight blocks, but they still locked up because they think it. Everywhere you go, you that you that right? So you know, how, I'll give it like in the prison, guy you, guy got a cellie, he get a new cellie, man. He keep getting all these. If you had ten cellies, it ain't your cellies. It ain't the guys that putting in the it's cell you, with you. Nigga. It's you, right? <laughs> yeah. You got ten. You didn't put ten dudes in it. So you mean to tell me all ten of them was just unbearable? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you, right? Mm-hmm. And so because one of the things is everywhere you go, you're there, and so you take with you what you learned in the fishbowl, right? If for, in my case, maybe what I learned in prison what I learned in these different environments. You take that with you everywhere you go. So everywhere you go, you're there. And that's how you look at the world. So the thing is, you have to, in my opinion, a lot of it's about changing your perception, right? Like, how do, how do you see the world, right? One of the things that I want to ask was, when you come home, you have places like Safer or, you know what I'm saying, reentry programs that try to, Affect or try to change or try to help you. What have the programs done, and where can they approve at? Would you say? Uh, so, uh, for me, I, I didn't really take advantage of the programs. Some of them I wish I would have, right? Sort of like we are, and you think that grants too safer. But I think what happens is we have to understand that there's a lot of hurdles that go that that's in your way coming out. So, for example, if you tell me I have to be somewhere at nine, but I'm coming home and I'm on, I got home confinement, right? So I'm on EM, electronic monitoring. So that means I, everywhere I go, I have to get permission before I leave. And my movement starts at nine o'clock. Your door is closed at 9.15 no matter what. It takes me 30 minutes to get to where you're at. Even if I leave out 15 minutes, I'm gambling and leaving out. I've got a 15 minute window before and I leave out. At 8.45, I might not make it at 9.30 if the bus is off a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I get there at 9.35, and you're telling me I to go back home. What? Right? So now, you just told me that, and then I try it again. The next day, I call my agent. I'm trying. I can't reach my parole agent, right? So I can't get the movement I need to, to let them know that I need to be there at 9.30. I can't come to the program at 5 o'clock because my movement is from 9 to 3. So what do I do? I keep running into these hurdles. So I, what I think, what I believe needs to happen is that, like counseling, right? If you go, if you're experienced with a drug counselor, a drug program, treatment program, when you when it's done effectively, the moment you walk into the program, they're preparing you for the day you leave. And so when you go into prison, all this shit should be wrapped into it, right? So when you walk into the prison system, they should be preparing you for the day you come out. And so when you come out, some of these things, a lot of the barriers that you have won't necessarily be there. And so that allows you to, for an organization like SAFER or whoever to help you transition more seamlessly into society. But what happens is because measurable outcomes and 
quantifiable data and all this language people need to have be able to show oh I was doing this with little Charles oh I did this and so they get so caught up in the numbers they forget about the people mm-hmm. and so because we are, they want to rightfully so they want to keep their doors on they're trying to keep the lights on it's people now so it's not just about helping returning citizens it's about helping returning citizens and keeping our employees employed right mm-hmm. and so when that happens the whole mission shifts and nobody's paying attention to it Right, so now we got a fifty million dollar budget. Yeah, a lot of folks got some raises, but how much of the money is getting back to the people that need it? Because we have all this bureaucracy now, so there's all this red tape, there's all these other things that's taking place. And so, for me to give little Charles a fair a fair chance, um, what I think needs to be, it has to be a more investment in the people, right? And and it has to be flexible, it has to be individualized. This idea that we're gonna, I'm gonna treat all everyone is gonna be treated the same. That shit, it ain't no one size fits all. It don't. I don't. I can't fill a small. No matter how much I try, I can't get in the small. <laughs> you understand? And I but, can't fit an extra large. And me and you walk in at the same time. Guess what? They gonna give us one size. We got to both get in it. Mm-hmm. That don't work. And so, um, what has to what has to, what has to happen is there has to be more um, investment in individual and individual growth. And again, people's like, oh, that's too difficult. It may take too long. Whatever. But you have the person there. Right, so when they come in, you think about how do I, of course, the classroom experience is gonna be the classroom experience, but everybody don't need the same thing walking out. When I walked out, I didn't need a place to stay. You didn't need a place to stay, but you needed other things, mm-hmm. right? When I walked out, I didn't need, I needed, for example, I had anger management. The assumption was I was pissed off, right? Anger management, you went to jail for murder, so you angry, right? I left prison, drug counselor, Anger management. I taught anger management in prison, but you made me walk. I, when I came out and go to safety, they telling me I need anger management. How you haven't even assessed me to know if I need anger management? Yep. You understand what I'm saying? So the thing is, it's just this blanket, right? Um, you, you young, you black, you come from Inglewood, you come from Almond Gresham, you come from Woodlawn, you come from Austin, you come from these areas, right? You got caught with a gun. Yeah, you need. You got some anger issues. No, I'm carrying a gun because I'm scared, right? So address my fear. Right? Don't look at me as the aggressor. Address my fear. I'm walking into this space and I'm saying, I want to do better. I need some help. Can you help me? I don't want what you just gave Little Charles because what Little Charles is doing doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And you're saying my only option is I'm only giving one size fits all. That don't work. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of it has to do why it's not effective as well is I see that. And most of the programs, and there are people that really care. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that some guys don't care, but a lot of people don't just don't understand. The credentials shouldn't be a college degree. The credentials shouldn't be uh, none of that to help these, especially the younger, young, younger guys, like 18 to 25, around that age. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be more youth involved in the transition of people that, that, that came from the same thing they came from. You know what I'm saying? I don't think, I think that, People are just so caught up on credentials as far as professional. Like we not we're not dealing with we not we not dealing with the rest of society. I think you have to have both. So I don't believe it. I don't believe that it's it's um, one or the other, right? I don't right. think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that you can have both, right? I agree. So for example, um, I know folks like even when we talk about with programs, and a lot of times they want people. So as a drug counselor, right? So uh-huh. I never had a drug problem. And so I remember when I was inside, guys was like, man, you don't know nothing about this stuff, man. You ain't, how you gonna tell me about 
you know, uh, my drug problem. You ain't never had no drug problems. Yeah, but I, you know, I sold dope my whole life, right? And that's a drug. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I understand addiction, right? I understand a mentality. So I don't have to, my experience may be different, but that doesn't mean I haven't had an experience, right? So how do I show you? How do I show, I, I've grew, I grew up around, you know, folks that use drugs my whole life. So how do I show you that I understand what you're going through? So I'm saying that to say, to your point about like young folks being involved, I do believe you need young young folks, people who can, who have a, a closer ear to what's going on, right? Because I'm a firm believer, clo- people closer to the problem are closer to the solution. But they can work in concert with folks that not necessarily, may not be as close as you, right? So if I pulled up on the block and Charles is live action, and you saying I need I need somebody like little child to get little child, or I need I need as an outreach worker, a case manager, a case worker, I should hire little child. I'm saying no, nah, what little child's brother at? Because little child's brother go to school here day. His cousin or whoever he he cool. He ain't a hot. He ain't hot. He ain't live like that. But he's from the community. He to me he's credible, right? I'm gonna go get him, and then because I, I got if I got him, I got you. Because you you gonna look out for your brother. You are gonna make sure your cousin's straight, right? And then I'm gonna work on little child's a different way because putting because if I go get you and put you right back, I'm putting you in the line of fire right there. Yeah, you understand know what I'm saying? So yeah. it ain't always it's not always about the credit. And then I'm gonna say the reason why I went. So when I came out of prison, and went to school. I went to school for one reason. I already I don't need nobody to tell me about the streets. I'm a professional. My experience, I'm, I'm an expert in my experience, mm-hmm. right? So I can talk to you about the streets. I can talk to you about prison. I've lived them both and lived. And so, but the way the society is set up, I need to be able to challenge you the way you try to challenge me. And so if I have what you have, right? So when I walk in a room, I know that if if, if me and Joe from uh, up north is coming in this space, Joe up north, yeah, he went to UFC, he has this, you know, he has a master's degree, right? And I walk in and I went to IDOC, right? <laughs> and, you know, I got a GED. It's like, who are you going to hire, right? So, you know, I, just being real, no brainer. I'm going to take a shot on. But I mean, if now, you're this, trying to really fix the problem, you, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that that's. You have to, but you have to exhibit, right? You still have to exhibit because just because you come from the environment don't mean you, you, that you got answers to fix the shit. But that's just like you just said. It's all about analysis, right? So mm-hmm. you sit them right down, you have, an, you have an interview or whatever the case may be, you see where his head is really at. And then you decide if, well, I'll hire him or not, or I will hire him or not. But I'm saying, like, to even get in these certain positions, it's these roadblocks. You know what I'm saying? That that's that's keeping that's keeping the younger cats out of these positions. You know what I'm saying? Because like, you gotta have this amount of education. You gotta have this, that, and the third. I understand the GED. That's that's that that seems really basic. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying? What 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 gives you credibility to talk about? Like with you, you got both. You lived it, then you went to school and got everything else that you needed. Mm-hmm. But some guys don't have no street experience. They people weren't a part of what's going on, uh, nothing. Now that they really want to help, that's a, that should be a condition that you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You really want to help, but if you don't know how to help, you know what I'm saying. Now if you have an influx of both, like you were saying, both of them, maybe I can I can teach this person that really wants to help and has all this education how to help. But if you don't have that in the workspace at all, how are you supposed to get through to anybody? You know what I'm saying? No, I'm not. I'm not saying. I believe that. So for me, what I think is, I should grab a little child. This is just me thinking. If I'm a, if I'm an organization, I'm gonna grab somebody a little child. I'll grab somebody like Darius, and I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna invest in you. 
Right. So when I talk to y'all, and I'm always talking about man. When you walk through the door, your responsibility is what? Open the door for the stick next. some in the door. Yeah. For so the, yeah. so little Charles got through the door. He stuck some in the door. When Darius came through, he got to push it a little further and stick something else in the door. And and every time somebody comes through the door, we got to stick something in the door until we can either take the, the fucking hinges off the door or the door don't work no more. Mm-hmm. But we have to create a space where they that door can't be closed. So I'm gonna invest in little Charles. I'm gonna take little Charles. I'm gonna say little Charles, you got your GED? No, nah, okay, let's figure out how to get you that. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna keep you employed. But we're gonna we're gonna set some things. If you don't, if and it's about your personal growth, you have to want that too, though. Yeah. Right? And so if you come in and you exhibit that man, look, I because somebody got to take a chance on somebody. Yeah. And if you come in and Show me that you want it, then I'm gonna take. I'm gonna invest in your personal growth. One because you, I know that you know how to talk to the people because you're from them, right? But now I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you how to apply what apply all that shit that you know. I'm gonna show you how to apply it in a way that allows you to get the best results. Go ahead, John. The best thing about coming home, she freedom right <laughs> I mean and again and I use that term loosely because I'm not free and you're not free society has some rules for you right so but for me the best thing about coming home is you know being able to be present for family to be you know people I feel responsible for when I say family that's not I don't mean my blood relatives all the time family is based on love right it's not just you know I got a lot of relatives but I don't have a lot of family so um, it's about being able to be there for the people that I say I want, I was going to be there for. It's about being able to, um, and and that can be just the community. You know what I mean? I I come from Woodlawn. I owe a lot to Woodlawn. And you know, people are like man, you, you know, you're doing good. I see people in Woodlawn. They, you know, they man, we proud of you, bro. Dot 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 dot. And I'm feeling. To me, I've been out five years. I I still feel like I haven't done shit for Woodlawn. You understand what I'm saying? And and some of them will probably beg the difference. Say, man, no, nah, bro, you. You gave you you gave an example. And I'm saying no. I need to be doing more, because you know, whatever whatever little I did, I give back. It's, it won't be enough. You know what I'm saying? I'm a believer that you know the world wasn't you know left to us by our parents. It was loaned to us by our children, right? So the next generation has a you know is I have a responsibility to the generation that comes after me. Mm-hmm. You're a generation after me. I I have a responsibility to you. You understand? And yeah. I hope you have a responsibility to the next generation. So for me, the best thing about coming home is, was, you know, being there, for, you know, seeing my family, getting a chance to see my grandmother before she passed, um, and, you know, being around family and shit, lemon pepper. Lemon pepper chicken, Jack. <laughs> you hear me? Because I had never had it, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a marvel. A marvel. Shit. Uh, the best part about coming home. I definitely ain't gonna say freedom because I'm far from free. Um, the best part about coming home, and that's a, that's a tough hugging my people. You know what I'm saying? Because I like I spent a year and a half in Pontiac, so that was on on a whole nother level. Like you don't get to touch nobody, ain't no phone calls, ain't nothing. And I parole from there. You know what I'm saying? So not being able to touch my people, man. Being able to hug my mama. Um, food. Going to the refrigerator when I felt like it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Seeing my little sister graduate. Seeing her go off to college. Um, you know, just being able to just feeling as if, like I say, I wouldn't say I'm free, but just not having to go everywhere with handcuffs on. Uh, 
not being able to go outside without them calling the yard or you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Just small shit like things, just right. a small thing. It be the small thing, fit, just filling the air and you know what I'm saying? It's smelling my grandma cooking and you know what I'm saying? Just the small things that really resonate with you. You know what I'm saying? And uh, being at funerals, losing my homies, actually being able to be at a funeral instead of just sending my cell. And you know what I'm saying, having to deal with that. So, you know what I'm saying, just all of that plays a part. Yeah, it's crazy because you say that. Because I just think about, I always, so for me it was more about my family, the people that I, that I love, right? That I wanted to make sure that they was okay. And to make sure that they knew I was okay. Because I used to say this, I and they, my, my cell, everybody that was, these was like, man, you just like, you cool here. No, my comfort not attached to people, right? So, you can you know I, you know I, you can ship me from penitentiary to penitentiary. My comfort, I'm, wherever I go, I'm gonna be straight. That's my mentality, right? So you don't make me happy. You can't make me happy. You can make me happier, right? So for me, it was all about just being able to be there for my family because I I would all I, you know people that knew me from prison they say that dude he crazy because I would say man if I can wave a magic wand and make sure all my family all those folks that love me life was straight they could break the key in the lock, right? Because I wasn't for me I was free. You understand? My 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 prison is wanting to be there for everybody. So that's the prison. I, that's a self-imposed prison, right? Trying to f- fix everybody's situation. And so, like being locked up physically, yeah, that's it's 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 a hell of a thing. But for it, me, I was able to deal with that because I was able to, as long as I knew that my family was straight, mental freedom. I can be. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so I'm a firm believer in that. You know, but yeah, on a positive note, lemon pepper chicken. I think that we got everything though. Touched who on the topic. You ain't tell me who created lemon pepper chicken though. Lemon pepper. I don't. I don't know who the hell made lemon pepper. I chicken. thought Rick Roth made it up because that's all I used to hear when I was in jail. <laughs> lemon pepper chicken. <laughs> Wing stop. Wing stop. But I'm telling you, lemon pepper might be. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time, Johnny Page, man. You know what I'm saying? Brought a lot of insight to us. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Complicating the Narrative podcast. We hope you like this episode. You can hear more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and your favorite streaming services. Complicating the Narrative is brought to you by Contextos. Contextos uses the power of personal narrative to promote healing and reflection and to foster critical thinking and dialogue to provoke change.